general nerdery. From last week where we brought you the literal worst that Star Wars has to offer, this week we bring you some of the best that Star Wars has to offer, although I do have to say it really was just backdoor pilot the season. No, that's true. That's true. Uh, we'll get there. But those people bringing you thoughts is us. In case you didn't know that, that'd be weird if you didn't know that. This is General Nerdery, our podcast about liking things. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. And obviously we're here to talk about Mando Season 2, among other things. Among other things. Some of those other things being like, before we get into all of that, because we're going to go episode by episode like we did last time, just to make it easy on ourselves. Mm -hmm. But what have you been ingesting this week? Shockingly, almost none of this show that we're about to sit down and talk about. <laughs> I super meant to. I was going to watch all both seasons. I sat down, watched the first like three episodes of season one, and then the holidays took over and did not watch any more of it. Uh, let's see. Watched Muppet Christmas Carol, as I always must mm -hmm. at Christmas. Uh, we're recording this on the 28th, so... Oh, this is, is 28th. I didn't actually know what day it was. I, I've been signing boxes all day at work. So this is right after Christmas for us. And I've been reading the Pokemon Adventures manga because it is weirdly hardcore. Hmm. The main one, the main character from the first like four volumes gets frozen in ice and the plot becomes like rescuing him from the Elite Four who are trying to wipe out all human life on Earth. Oh, shit. Like, this shit gets dark. Okay. People okay. get stabbed by Pokemon. <laughs> oh, shit. I mean, it's still like a kid's manga. I, I, I would easily lend this to my, like, you know, eight-year-old niece. But this is not the fucking cartoon that I grew up watching. It is much better. Okay. Okay. It is stupid, but I... Fun stupid. Nice. Nice. I also intended to watch this show. So that I could more easily talk about it. It was long when we came in. You have way more cred than I do on that front. That's all I watched about this week. <laughs> oh, good. As you can see, we're well prepared for this episode. Because uh, here's what happened. The finale for Mandalorian happened. At that same time, EA put out a video game bundle. It was $40 for Battlefront 2, Fallen Order... And squadrons all together. You can knock out any one of those, and that's still a good price. Yeah, that's, I mean, they sell for 50 usually. So I picked that up. I played the first two and a half hours, maybe, of Fallen Order. Uh, the prologue and the first two missions of squadrons. Haven't actually fired up Battlefront 2 yet. But uh, Fallen Order was good enough that I was like, oh, I can't get into new games. I have something else I still need to get done. So I went hard in the paint. I finished uh, the first DLC and the main storyline for Witcher 3, and I'm hmm. about a quarter of the way into the last DLC. It is time to get this shit done. Uh, I will admit at first I picked it up just so that I could finish it off to get to the Star Wars titles. But you also I mean, really fucking love that I game. I mean, I, I really fucking love the <laughs> game. But the, at a certain point... Finishing the main storyline was cool. The last DLC they put out for it, the Blood and Wine DLC, did, they updated so much stuff that just reinvigorated, like, all of the playing for it for me. Like, even though I would... 
I've hoarded quite a few things throughout my my playthrough, getting through the first DLC and the the main storyline. When it came time to to craft like the new Grand Master Witcher armors that it fucking introduces that have like set bonuses, which okay, is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Up to that point, they don't have set bonuses, but they tell you what the set bonuses are. So you're like, oh, I just got to get to that Grand Master level. Oh, I, just I understand get the appeal now. Like, even with everything I'd fucking held on to, I was having to be like, okay, so what else can I go sell to do this? What what can I break down to be able to craft this? I I ran out of shit, and it was oh. a good feeling. And I don't know. The, the new enemies, two of them are kind of similar, but they're challenging enough that it it's fun. It's I'm having a blast just playing that game again, so... That's the other thing I did. I ended up with, like, eight new video games this weekend. Because mm. uh, I bought CC Let's Go Peek. I say new. All of these are old video games. Almost all of these are old video <laughs> games. But I bought CC uh, Let's, Go Pe- uh, Let's Go Eevee Pokemon, which is recreation of the first Pokemon, but it can interact with Pokemon Go and all sorts of nerd stuff that I love. Right. Um, and she's also buying me Hyrule Warriors, but that one hasn't arrived yet. Mm. And then my buddy bought me Return of the Obra Din, which is actually going to be my recommendation, so I'll talk about that later. But while I was, you know, on the Nintendo eShop uh, to pick up Return of Obra Din, because he just sent me the money for it, uh, I made the mistake of looking at the sales section of the Nintendo shop. And I now own, God, what all was it? Katamari Damacy Reroll, oh, which I have never played Katamari other than since I bought this, oh. but I always wanted to. Oh, shit. I played the Xbox port, Beautiful Katamari. It came out for the PS2, which was the last time I really played much in the way of video games. Like, I never had any mm-hmm. generations after that, but for whatever reason, it was never a game I got my hands on. Dude, rolling Katamaris is so much fucking fun. It's awesome. I, I played, like, the intro and was like, okay, I have too many games. I need to play other things <laughs> that I will fall into this. But I'll probably play some tonight. Mm-hmm. And then I picked up Final Fantasy 7, 9, 10, and 10-2. 10-2 just came with 10. I don't, I don't really care about that one as much, although I'm sure I'll play it. But those other three were the ones that I played as a kid but never beat. Right. I was like, well, time to invest too many hours in this. 10 might be my favorite, and I've never beat it. It's okay. The ending is pretty bad. Yeah. (laughs) It's Final Fantasy. They almost never stick the landing. Yeah, I've looked up the ending. It's not great. (laughs) Plot is not why I play Final Fantasy. And then I picked up a game called Oceanhorn, because they're like, oh, this is a really good uh, Wind Waker clone. I'm like, well, I really liked Wind Waker, so sure. And I picked up um, Immortals Phoenix Rising. Oh, that looks fun. I have not played it yet, because I need, like, two hours on Wi-Fi to download it, and I just don't have that yet. But yeah, uh, it was originally supposed to be called Gods and Monsters, from what I understand, and then I think Monster Energy Drink or something like that got pissy about that, so they're like, fine. It is now Immortal Phoenix Rising, and it's a terrible goddamn name. But it's supposed to be, like, Breath of the Wild in Greek Legend, so sure, bring it on. I'm yeah. <laughs> I've watched a little bit of gameplay from it. It looks kind of like what I've seen from Breath of the Wild. I've never played Breath of the Wild, so. Big world explorer kind of setup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I'm looking forward to it. It's the one I'm probably most excited about other than when Hyrule Warriors gets in. But, yeah, I just have to... I still don't have Wi-Fi at my house, so I have to take my Switch somewhere. Well, there is uh, one other thing, major thing, that I ingested this weekend. Yo. And it also can technically tie us into starting in on the news. Oh, good. I watched One Roman 84. Yes, you did. And with this being our first week of uh, the Fantastic Four of news... Our uh, recent hot off the press news is as of this morning, Warner Brothers is basically fast tracking Wonder Woman 3. We should say while we're talking about this, I have not yet seen Wonder Woman 84. We will be doing an episode on it in the month of January. We're just not 100% sure what order yet. I am really looking forward to hearing it, seeing it. Hearing it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I guess I will as well, but... I hear the reviews started good and really quickly got bad. So my short version, we're going to do an episode y- on yes. this. Yes, no, I just, I am wildly curious what you think of this. But my, my short version is, I enjoyed it. There's nothing wrong with it. But I also enjoyed Birds of Prey, Shazam, Aquaman, the first Wonder Woman, all more than it. Oh, Okay. Fair. I like Al Gadot's Wonder Woman, so I'm going to be probably enjoying myself. She's breathtaking in all of it. Oh, yeah. She's Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman. Um, um, but I, yeah, I, as much as I did like it, it, like everything else that they've done lately seemed to, to do it for me more. And that's even with Pedro Pascal being in it. I'm still mad about the fact that Maxwell Lord's character has been so wildly changed over the years from when he first appeared where he was kind of a like, I mean, he was kind of a used car salesman, mm-hmm. but he's kind of just become the villain characters anymore. He was a lot different. His storyline, the way that he's a villain in it was a lot different than the way I thought it was going to be from the trailers. That's that was a, that fine. was a nice surprise. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that they're making a third one. I Patty Jenkins clearly really enjoys making these, so bring it on. Yeah, so uh, it sounds like even if the... Because I agree, I've been seeing some of the reviews really start to trail off. I think it's currently like the lowest rated of all the DCEU movies on the database. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, the, the statement from Warner Brothers is... Uh, Let's see. As far as fans around the world continue to embrace Diana Prince, driving the strong opening weekend performance of Wonder Woman 80, 1984, we're excited to be able to continue her story with our real-life Wonder Woman, Gal and Patty, who will continue to conclude the long-planned theatrical trilogy. Wonder Woman 1984 broke records and exceeded our expectations across all of our key viewing and subscriber metrics in its first 24 hours on the service, and the interest and momentum we're seeing indicates this will likely continue well beyond the weekend. During these very difficult times, it was nice to give families the option of enjoying this uplifting film at home where theater viewing wasn't an option. Okay, I, real quick, what absolute horseshit, though, that they're like, this is, we did this because it feels good. As <laughs> to, we did this because this made us mad money. I mean, I subscribed this weekend. I'm part of those numbers we're seeing. So. I was planning to pay you halvesies so I could split the account with you. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> um, I think that statement sounds like they just saw 
a big enough surge on their subscriber numbers that they don't care that it didn't like that it can't really even come out in u.s theaters right now okay and it did fine overseas it did like 88 million 85 million overseas which i think was opening weekend that's not bad for overseas i think they were projecting more like 60 for it so especially during the era of covid like that's one of those things when people are like oh this movie didn't do well at all like it made its entire budget back in two days we'll see We'll talk about it more later. Yeah. I'm looking forward to watching it. I'm not expecting great things. As uh, as we've talked about on this show, I can like something while admitting it's bad. Mm-hmm. And that might be what it is. Like, oh, this was a lot of fun. It was just not a, a well-put-together movie. That's fine. Yeah. I'm not saying that's what it is. I, I don't, I've not seen it. Stop giving me these facial expressions. I know. I'm just um, like, <laughs> uh, I just want to talk, talk about, about it really now. bad. Yes. <laughs> I just want to talk about it now, but it's also like you haven't seen it. it. It would just be me saying a whole bunch of things. So, What's next? That was our Human Torch? That was our Human Torch. Uh, next is our Invisible Woman. <sighs> the possibly overlooked thing. This one isn't uh, the strongest contender for our first time out, but sometimes you just got to take what the news gives you. Uh, something that I feel has been very overlooked uh, in the wake of, like, the confirmation of the Book of Boba Fett being mm-hmm. its own standalone, which we, we mentioned sure last week. First. We mentioned last week we both thought it was a little bit clear that that was the what it was. Mm-hmm. But there was enough of the fandom that was like, oh, is that just replacing the Mandalorian? Oh, they're just going to decide his story's done now that baby Yoda's gone? No, there's so much more. There's so much more. None of us believe... We'll get there. That's literally today's episode. Hold on a sec. (laughs) They had to confirm... No, Book of Boba Fett's its own thing. In that interview on Good Morning America that Jon Favreau confirmed this is its own thing, this is who, you know, who's leading it, which one of the producers is Robert Rodriguez. That has me super excited. Anyway, uh, he also... (laughs) I didn't know that, of course, (laughs) I (laughs) knew Uh, he mentioned that Rangers of the New Republic and possibly Ahsoka as well will actually be set closer to right after Return of the Jedi. Oh, so in the, the early, early years. It's just that it sounds like it would culminate still. It's supposed to culminate with a crossover with the Mandalorian. So whatever story it's telling would then theoretically be spread out over a couple years, or it would give a reason for those characters to show back up. Okay. That makes sense. I was just curious of how that was going to go down with, uh, we all want to know Ahsoka. I mean, we all know Ahsoka's looking for Thrawn, which I already knew, but that's Rebels, which not many people have watched. That's cool, though. I, I like that Star Wars is very willing to jump back and forth with the era of storytelling it's doing lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got hardcore Conan the Bar- Barbarian vibes of like, is this a chronological timeline? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just kind of overlooked with the whole like, oh no, Book of Boba Fett is its own thing. Also, Favreau, these things are happening. Yeah, Favreau also said right after Return of the Jedi. We still have, like, nothing but a name for Rangers, right? Right. That's the one I want to know the most about. 
All I know is that along with this, I read a couple of reports that apparently Favreau's a big fan of Return of the Jedi, so it makes sense that he's going to, like, right after that time period. I think Return of the Jedi is kind of an underrated gem of a Star Wars movie. It's not the best of them by any means, but it's very well... It's the point where the universe really starts to feel, like, much more put together and complete compared to the first two. Star Wars always feels like a real universe, but by that point, it's really, like, found its groove in what it wants Star Wars to look and feel like. Right. All right, so that brings us up to our thing. Our thing. This one, I did not want to start off on this grim of a note. Oh, God. Oh, no. I'm scared of which news piece this is. I can't think of a specific one, but there's never anything good going on anymore. No, so like no, this is this is truly kind of a dour sour note. It's something that kind of started a couple weeks ago that we didn't talk about then, but uh, a bigger development has happened, and it's not the sort of thing you hear about all the time. Uh, Lin Chi, the founder of the Chinese game uh, company Yuzu, oh, I was reading about this this morning, and who was one of the producers on Netflix's adaptation of The Three-Body Problem that's going to be coming out. I have no idea what that is, but okay. Earlier this month, checked into a hospital reporting symptoms that have led doctors to believe that he was poisoned by one of his colleagues and has now passed. And they've, I want to say... I don't know if they've arrested a colleague, yeah, but they were like, uh, by name, <laughs> like, this person did it. They've identified a suspect as Yao Su, who's another film executive who was tasked with heading up the three-body universe, the unit within the Yuzu company that was going to be overseeing everything related to the three-body project going forward. Maybe it's just because I work at a fucking grocery store, but the idea of murdering someone over their job... Well, sometimes understandable, like, like I get where you're coming from with it, is just such a wild idea to me. Yeah. Um, also, I would never murder my workmates. I just admittedly sometimes get the, like, not making this sound better for me. I'm not 100% positive on this, but I believe the three-body problem adaptation was also involving, like, Ryan Johnson and fucking uh, D&D from Game of Thrones. Damn. Yeah. This is fucking... Okay. So now who knows what happens with it going forward? This is fucked, though. Like, I don't think we normally hear about... I can't think of another story where they had to replace one of the producers on a movie or show or whatever because he got fucking murked by, like, Betty from down the hall. Right. <laughs> right. So that's our it's a it's a grim one, but that's our odd one out for the week. That's our thing. Also, I apologize if I sounded a little blase about this man's life. It legitimately sucks this happened to him. It's just sounds so much like a soap opera that like I don't know fucking <laughs> And then we'll f- I decided we would finish off this week with our Reed Richards, our Dr. Richards, our science story, <laughs> because this one is just kind of neat and definitely uplifting after a dude gets poisoned by his colleague. Yep. A new pod slash entire population of blue whales has been discovered in the Indian Ocean. I was reading about that. That's so cool. Oh, my God. Uh, head's falling off. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> they haven't even been seen yet. It's just 
been absolutely confirmed by uh, following their songs and tracing their their patterns uh, in correlation with other groups that they know in their area, that they're an all-new group that we didn't know about of a hundred foot long creatures just li- living quite a few of them too yeah like... quite a few of them um that are all singing their own unique blue whale song there's only a little bit a little over a dozen unique uh songs that have been documented for blue whales and so now this opens up a whole lot of other questions how did they get separated off for long enough to come up with their own song is it different enough that it causes them problems with uh, interacting with other pods? Like, holy shit, that's cool. There's so many more blue whales than we thought there were. Is it different because it turns out they're actually their own subspecies, which because we haven't even seen them yet, like we haven't obviously haven't been able to gather any DNA to figure that out. Like, but there's an entirely new population of blue whales that have just been hiding out there that just through listening we were able to find this is one of those things that makes me think about that i don't know if it's actually a real fact or just something that we've been taught for so long but we know more about space than we do about what's in our oceans Mm. which kind of makes sense it was a lot easier to look up into space a lot earlier than it was to you know explore the ocean deeps which is like oh yeah just just a bunch of monster-sized things that you didn't know about. That's so cool. Yeah. Wildly outside of my, like, knowledge zone, but so cool. So cool. Um, God, and I just kept trying to imagine the size of those fuckers. It's so big. Like, I find moose to be unstartingly big. Well, yeah, moose are horrifying. But they're also <laughs> tiny. I get what you're saying. I'm a little scared of the ocean. Like, I yeah. mostly is, and I, I think it's because I ha- didn't grow up around it. Like, I was in Portland when I was a little, little, little kid. And then here, ever since, we're a long ways from the ocean. I'm not that strong of a swimmer. The idea of you're in the water and there's nothing beneath you for a few thousand feet in a few places is um, a little overwhelming. Also, I don't even like crawdads of a sufficient size. <laughs> They taste so good. They taste so good. They I actually so good. really do like ocean creatures. I just... People are like, oh man, it'd be so good to swim with the whales. I'm like, no, you would die. Yeah, see, I would draw the line at swimming with the whales. I don't... I've, I'm not like completely afraid of the ocean, no matter like, my I, crack about the crawdad. Like, I've went snorkeling and shit and like I had a great to. time. I, I feel like I'd be less scared of the ocean if I actually like spent some time around it Mm -hmm. i love bodyboarding i've went a few times in my life like i enjoy aspects of the ocean but there's aspects of the ocean that utterly scare the shit out of me so they released that movie god it might have even been like 10 years ago now about two people that like fell off a cruise ship and are stuck alone in the middle of the ocean like with a buoy between them no no thank you like that is that is what I think of too often when I think of swimming in the ocean. That's kind of why I want to go scuba diving. One of the times, that is especially, I do not like the thought of being just stuck out there. One of the times out bodyboarding with my dad, me and him had to get the fuck out of a riptide before it got us out to sea. Oof. And that was scary enough. I, I've never been so tired. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. 
Uh, but anyway. But whales! Yeah, whales. We found, <laughs> dude, and not just small whales, like giant fucking whales. Like the biggest creature that's ever lived on Earth. Oh, that's so cool. That's the news this week. Well, uh, we'll take a quick break and then we'll dive back into Star Wars. Sorry, I have to admit, because we did the previous two Mando episodes with Yui, when I realized we were just doing you and I for this, I was like, I kind of feel like I'm cheating on them. I know. I've, <laughs> I've already resolved in my mind that I'm not going to give this episode a cutesy based off of a Western title. It's going to be a lot more straightforward. I, ha I have to save it. I have to save those special episodes for with Yui. <laughs> um, yeah, Mando season two. See, yeah. Um, trying to think back to whatever it would be now, thir uh, 10 weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Going into this, what did you hope for? I definitely wasn't going in blind. I had read that, I mean, we had talked multiple times that we knew Rosario Dawson was going to be. Yeah, Ahsoka. even though they had never officially confirmed it until. They like, were not keeping it very secret either. Mm -hmm. Um. So I knew that was coming in. I, I was expecting it to be much more like focused on the new quest as opposed to kind of a still quiet introspect. It's not really introspective, but like the, the continuing quiet from adventure to adventure. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think. I, the one character I really expected to see again, I didn't see. Well, I knew I was going to see Cara Dune and, uh, Grief, Cargo. No, yeah, yeah. But I really thought we were going to see the Armorer again at some point. Same. Only like once, but... Um, yeah, I guess going into the season, I thought the Armorer and the remnants of his group were going to play a bigger part. Or any part. Yeah. Um... I don't know. I'm pretty on the record that I hoped this season would see the end of this season. Like delivered a lot of things for no, me. No, <laughs> like I think all of my hopes. I would. I don't want to say I called the season because it did not play out in a way that I at all expected. But most of the things that I wanted to see come to pass, I think came to pass this season. I've been thinking about this a lot. I think as a standalone piece of television, the first season is better. I think as a thing that is growing Star Wars in a way that is exciting to me and as a fan is something I really enjoy, this season was better. Like, like as a piece of Star Wars growing the universe, this one does a lot more. But I wonder how much of this is easier for me uh, because I have seen all the other stuff that goes with it. Mm. And I think it's sometimes a little stronger when you can just watch the thing and understand what is going on. You know, I think I could have gone into Mando season one largely clean of any knowledge of most, most of Star Wars. Yeah, of a lot of expanded Star Wars and been fine with season two. Part of the reason the things landed so strong for me was because, holy shit, that's Ahsoka Tano or holy shit, that's Boba Fett or, oh man, that's Vanth Cobb. <laughs> that one that one landed way smaller but was still like uh i mean 
with uh, I, I believe it's Cobb Vanth. Cobb Vanth, thank you. That's right. Um, I mean, with the mention of him, we can just go into talking about the episodes, because yes, that's episode one. Well, chapter nine, The Marshal. You can tell that he worked on Avatar. That not John Favreau, but the Dave Filoni worked on Avatar. Mm. Similar, like this is a book. Uh, the official premise is the Mandalorian is drawn to the Outer Rim in search of others of his kind. But in actuality, this is the one where he goes back to Tatooine and he finds Cobb Vance kicking back in Boba's armor. And he fucks shit up, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so there are many things I like about this. I do want to get the one thing that drives me absolutely up a wall about this episode out of the way first. Okay. The scene where they're both on speeder bikes and fucking, like, racing through Tatooine at, like, 90 miles an hour and Cobb is just calmly talking to him. Without a helmet on, without anything, and they can just hear. Man, I'm glad I wasn't I can't the hear only people one. now. <laughs> I fucking when that happened, I started laughing so fucking hard, and because I was like, "Oh, they're doing, uh, they're doing Fast and the Furious style talking." It yanks because they do that in Fast and the Furious all the time. I don't think I've seen a Fast and the Furious since the third one, and I hated that one. Um, <laughs> it took me right out of the story the whole time, like. Mm. A bunch of people thought that entire bit was so cool. And it was pretty cool. But literally, all they had to do to fix this, what would have fixed it for me, is put on his fucking helmet and add in a slight staticky bit so it sounds like radio. Like uh, they were talking yeah. over the helmets. Because, man, I ride motorcycles. Those things are fucking loud. I realize these are like the hover equivalent, but we hear the noise they make. Right. And if nothing else, the wind... Yeah, that was the other sucks. thing that drove uh, that broke it for me. He was so clear, like they were like shaking his hair a little bit, right? But he was so clearly not in the wind because you know what happens when the wind is hitting your face that hard? You go ah, 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 a lot. You gotta have Oliphant <laughs> looking looking pretty though. Look, he looked fine. I am not <laughs> arguing that at all. It just took me out of it so hard that it took the episode a few minutes to like pull me back into what was going on on a really cool episode. This episode, as it first aired, as I came away from it, I was like, that might be my favorite episode of The Mandalorian so far. Maybe not, but it's in the running. I would it's, have had to sit there and think about it. I don't know if it's one of my favorites. I do think it's one of the strongest episodes of the series. Uh, one and done story. It ties into the larger part, but it is not reliant on it. Um, in like four different ways. It's just beautifully shot. We'd already talked last season about how cool it was to see the sand people get real like personality and culture as opposed to really problematic dude savages. At, after this episode of The Marshal, I want Mando to just have like a Tuscan Raider sidekick. That'd be great. Um I want him to bring in fucking oh. I want them to bring in horror for like a couple seasons from Masters of Terrace I forgot that his name was Horror. <laughs> and I know it's spelled differently, but oh no. Oh no. Um, I will say my only critique of the Sand People part, since I'm apparently negative Nancy today, but legitimate critique at the same time, is the whole like. They have little bits of the the humans being like, you fucking killed us. They're like, you stole their land, man. But then they 
after that, they treat it very like, oh, we'll both sides, like, have legitimate grievances with you. No, man. The Tusken Raider's land was fucking stolen and taken over by hut lords, mostly. They get to be pissy about this. Um, and maybe it's just because I was automatically tying that story in with what we have done to people in real life. Mm -hmm. It made me a lot less sympathetic to the humans in this story. Well, like when we talked about the very first time we were talking about Mandalorian, mm -hmm. and Mandalorian follows Western tropes for the most part. Obviously, that goes across with samurai tropes at some points because they're kind of one and the same most of the time. Mm -hmm. There's like 80% crossover. A lot more imperialism in, Western, in mm -hmm. Westerns, but still. And we get to that later this season. Mm -hmm. But so that means in certain stories, somebody has to be the stand-in for the natives. The Jawas were a little bit more uncomfortable version. The Tuscans, I feel like they're treating with a lot more respect, even if there are some of those problems. Like, like yes. I'm not saying there's not those problems. No, no, I, I super agree with you, and I super get what you're saying. Um, and I appreciate that they are taking the time to actually give characters to these. I think the Sand People are less uncomfortable at bits because they're not treated comedically. Like, the Tusken Raiders are treated comedically like the Jawas are, and I get it, Jawas are a goofy-ass concept, so mm -hmm. I, yes. I just, it's not deal-breaking for me, it was just another one of those things that I was like, man, I think this has a few implications that you're not even necessarily trying to do, but you're, but I'm seeing. But as far as fucking, I don't know if this would even make my, this would, this episode might be my top Five still of the Mandalorian now. Mm -hmm. Even if I was saying when it first dropped, I was like, "Ooh, this might be my number one." Because crate dragon. It was so nice to finally see a crate dragon. Um, Boba armor. Boba teaser at the end. That part was amazing. We'll get to that. Pod racer engine. That was. Re I really liked. I wanted that. I wanted that speeder. That was just a pod racer engine. I don't want it actually at all, but it's so good. And luring the crate dragon onto mines just like you did in the fucking Knights of the Old Republic side mission. God, that's some nerdy shit right there. With the fucking crate dragon pearl at the end. That that was cool. That was one that I was like, whoa, okay, so that's mostly the same. But crate dragon pearls in the expanded universe are small enough that they use them as lightsaber crystals sometimes. And this one was like the size of a Tuscan's torso. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was a greater crate dragon. And maybe it's just a really, yeah, like a really old one that's had time to, like, grow up a lot. I, mm -hmm. So cool. The whole thing. And getting to see the, this is the first time, is this the first time we've seen the uh, missile come out of the backpack? The missile comes out of the ba backpack. Oh, it's so cool. Oh, my God. Like, ah, uh, there was so, so, um, plus just on a personal level, that in the, not really, it wasn't a cold open, but before he heads to Tatooine, when the guy tries to double cross him at the wrestling match. Right, John Leguizamo. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, I love Johnny Legs. That was such a strong intro to a season. Mm -hmm. Just, it sets us up. We still see how hardcore Mando is capable of being. Because I was watching... 
because I had read a review before we did this saying that Mando has grown almost not at all. Uh, and I don't think that's true, especially because I watched the first couple episodes of season one and he is way more hard in the first season. Well, and he doesn't really have a problem with droids anymore. Doesn't really have a problem with droids anymore. He doesn't carry his disintegrator gun anymore, which I'm kind of well, bummed about because I loved it. But like, it's not nearly as I mean, he had it with him well, fucking everywhere. That's also partially because it got destroyed. Well, yes, but still, I mean, even before that, he wasn't yeah, even using that, it nearly as often. Using, yeah. He's much more, like, chatty with the kid. Yeah. Also, I don't know if they just were more confident with what they could do with the puppet or if they just upgraded the puppet, but I feel like he was moving around so much more this season. I agree. I agree. Uh, Another cool little uh, cameo in that. Mm -hmm. Uh, W. Earl Brown played the Weequay bartender. He also played Dan Doherty on Deadwood. With Oliphant, where Oliphant was the marshal, and... That is fun. And, of course, we get Amy Sedaris back as Amy Sedaris, the space mechanic. Mm-hmm. She's pretty much just playing herself, but space mechanic. Which uh, is fine. No, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Bring it on. Yeah, this episode was just a really strong intro. Uh, let's see. That brings us on to... who There was high highs for me this season, and one low low. Did not like the passenger. Did not like the passenger. Interesting. Um, the baby Yoda's eating the eggs jokes got really uncomfortable to me. So we'll we'll get there. In <laughs> I'm a sorry. Second. I'm sorry. The official premise is the Mandalorian must ferry a passenger with precious cargo on a risky journey. Uh, it's also it's the one where Mando takes on Frog Woman. This side quest because otherwise this Frog Woman won't tell him where other Mandos are, and. He just he has to travel at sublight speeds because hyperspace will hurt the fucking eggs, and yeah, things ensue. Is she the last of her species or the last of her like genetic line? I think she's the last of her genetic line. Okay, and it's she's l- on her last spawn cycle. That is less horrifying than last of her species, like I thought it was at first. But still, but I'm also horrifying. not positive on that. I have to rewatch the episode. <laughs> it might be last of the species. Um, I liked seeing the wider like use of designs of making them look um less humanoid, while still doing largely prosthetics. Mm-hmm. But I didn't buy her her look as much as I did a lot of others. Like. Oh, it felt okay. much more person in costume to me than, say... I feel that. A few of the others that just look more natural. It felt... It still felt like authentic Star Wars. Oh, absolutely. But it... I get what you're getting at. Like, it felt kind of person in costume for sure. Yeah, which is fine. I watch Star Trek. I don't get to judge on that front. Okay, so... Definitely part of the big takeaway of this episode. Like, the, the big... Negative for me is the the fucking egg joke. I like dark humor. Like, some of the fucking things that we cover over on Fried Squirms are really, really dark and fucked up. And I fucking sit there and laugh my ass off. I would have thought that this was an amazing dark comedy joke if we... If Baby... If Grogu would have ate a couple of the eggs, then we heard the story. That's the funny bit. Dark comedy... 
but that's the funny bit, and then he stops. But after we find everything out, every fucking chance he gets, it's the cutaway joke. Yes, it was overused. Because uh, at first I was like, oh, fuck, no, oh, that's funny. And then I'm like, oh, 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 no, he is just, he might be committing genocide. I don't know here. Right. The first, I don't know, the first three, maybe first four episodes of this season all suffered from the same little bit, little negative to me, and they all felt like half steps. Yeah, I think it would have, I think if we got more than eight episodes a season, it would have stuck out less. Mm -hmm. You know, take a couple steps to get going, but like, I don't know, I wanted wider adventures. So I get what you're saying. The monsters were kind of cool. They are almost identical to um, a similar species from Rebels, to the point that Cece and I spent a long time debating whether it was the same species or if it was, like, an offshoot species, like, mm. or are they related somehow? Yeah, what is the name of that species? I know that they said something. Let me... Something spider? Yeah. It's based off an old Ralph McQuarrie design. Oh, okay. And oh, it, yeah, I saw... Yeah. It is one of the, like, last Ralph McQuarrie uh, designs left to go with. Uh, this was also the first episode this season directed by Peyton Reed, who has done the Ant-Man films. He also did the finale. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. Um, I don't know. Has he replaced Taika? Because Taika's not involved with this season. Yeah, Taika wasn't involved with this season. I don't know. I know that Bob Rod directs an episode later on, and he filled in for somebody that had to back out due to um, fucking scheduling and shit. Oh, okay. Um, but I don't know who he backed out. I don't know who he filled in for. Overall, this is probably the weakest episode of season two. I don't think it's bad. Like, I don't dislike it like you do, but it's... Yeah, for me, I was like, mm, nope. It was just kind of there. I the, will rewatch the... it in, like, season watch-throughs, but I doubt it will ever be an episode that I'm just like, oh, this would be a fun one. The, uh... I, th I thought it was cute that they basically had fucking Grogu eat the alien from Aliens. Yeah, that was great. That, that was, was cute. I, I did think that was I really liked that. Um, and this was the first episode where it started to really get my hopes up that we were going to lose the Razor Crest this season. <laughs> I, I've been thinking about that this entire season. <laughs> we'll get there, but yeah. Uh, but that goes into Chapter 11, The Heiress. Uh, this the, is the one where we meet Bo-Katan. Right. The official premise is, The Mandalorian braves high seas and meets unexpected allies. Which, of course, is... Upside, we get Katie Sackhoff back as Bo-Katan. And she kills it, both live-action and animated. Downside, her wig to make her hair look more like it did in the cartoon looks funky to me. Mm. Not terribly funky, but just it looked... Something about it stuck out a little bit to me. Um, Bo-Katan is not my favorite Mando. I do like seeing her because she always, I mean, she clearly cares about Mandalore. Okay, so I was trying to think of when to bring this up because it ties a little bit more into the last episode. Mm -hmm. But as we're talking about, I'm not as familiar with her. And 
seeing as we're not going to shy away from spoilers once we get there. In case you haven't noticed yet. Should I want her to be Mandalore at all? Because I, I kind of don't care at this point. I don't want her to be Mandalore, but I think her arc is really interesting. I think she would be a great fucking right-hand man for Mandalore. Okay. But she has no right to the Darksaber. She has zero right by the laws that they set down and the laws that she seems to be following here. She never wins the Darksaber in combat. Satine Kreez from um, Rebels wins it in combat and gifts it to her because she decides that Bo-Katan would be better suited to lead Mandalore because Bo-Katan's entire existence is about protecting Mandalore while Satine had... Uh, Sabine, sorry. There's a Satine and there's a Sabine that are both Mandalorians. Sabine uh, was also a major figure in the early rebellion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think she would be a great, like, right-hand man, or what's that Game of Thrones title? The Hand of the King or something right. like that. Like, yeah. I think she would fucking kill it in that role. But as Mandalore itself, ruler of Mandalore, I don't think she has the right... And I don't think she is able to keep people in the same way. Like, she's... Because when it gets to the end of the season, I was sort of sitting there like, I don't know enough about this character to know, like, am I supposed to be conflicted right now? Because I honestly don't care. I don't care if she ever gets it. (laughs) (laughs) I care what happens more to the leader of Mandalore and who becomes the leader and what happens to the Darksaber than specifically Bo-Katan getting it. I do want to see... I want to see Bo-Katan get to see Mandalore strong because she's been fucking working for it. Although historically, she makes the wrong decision every time. (laughs) She worked for the Death Watch until Darth Maul takes over and she gets pissy about that, understandably, and teams up with... um, Oh my god. Jedi. Ahsoka. Oh. She teams up with Ahsoka and, like, is responsible for the Republic taking over Mandalore uh, from Darth Maul. And then the Republic turns into the Empire and the Siege of Mandalore happens and a whole different level of fucked up. Uh, And she, like, continues to work with stuff. And she's like, I will pick Sabine. Sabine's like, no, I'll pick you. And, like, it. then the Empire does their next fucking, like, let's purge Mandalore. Mm -hmm. Like, it never fucking goes well. When she makes the choices. Um, But I think she's really interesting. If I'm being completely honest, I otherwise don't really remember too much about that episode other than how fucking awesome it was to see an entire group of Mandalorians just cut through a fucking whatever. What what were they? Was it a train or something? Uh, It was a ship ship taking off. Um, The thing that's important to talk about in this episode is this is where Mando meets... Mandalorians that take off their helmets. Yeah. And when they first do that, and he's just like, what is happening right now? Like that That's is That's like, right. Uh, are, you, are you, where did you get this Mando armor? And they're like, I'm fucking Bo-Katan. Like, fuck off. And that's where we find out that he was raised by the children of the Watch. Which is basically the Death Watch, or possibly even the, more, no, like, the more hardcore members of the Death Watch, even, because, I mean, Bo-Katan was Death Watch and took her helmet off all the time. Mm-hmm. So these are the people 
that I think probably inspired the Death Watch. Like, they fuck it up, fucked off to go be Mandalorians. The Death Watch were like, they had the right idea. We're just going to do it douchily. And so this is where I still thought it was going to come back around to, like, the armor and, like, the people that actually raised him at some point. Because this whole episode, Bo-Katan tells him kind of a couple times, like, oh, yeah, you were basically raised by, like, cultists. Yeah, you're part of a cult. Sorry, buddy. That part is super interesting. Um, and I did really enjoy watching him kind of figure out... and de- there, There's this moment where you realize how fucked up your childhood was. Doesn't matter who you are. Mm-hmm. Everyone... Because everyone's childhood is kind of fucked up. Because childhood is fucked up. But, like, as he's realizing this and realizing how strong that is was, and how little he actually knows about Mandalorian culture despite being, like... Super Mandalorian? Yeah, being super Mandalorian and super, like, built into it was really interesting. Like, I think that was probably my favorite part of the season, watching his views and his realization that he's not who he used to be. Um, yeah. And that, I mean, and it's also, as far as this season goes, it's really the kickstart in the impetus of, like, oh, we're going to see him take off his mask and... Yes. A public situation. The moment that we saw these other Mandos living like that, it became inevitable that... that I mean, we've been saying since the first season that it's inevitable anyway, Mm -hmm. but... But this really... Yeah, you're right. It starts building it up. Uh, And then we also get Giancarlo Esposito making Dark Troopers, which is a fucking deep cut from a video game that I loved as a kid and was very bad at because I was six. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, Oh, yeah. I don't remember. Maybe I remember more about this episode than I thought. Like, those were all really cool things. We don't get much of it. We just get, like, looking at it. Being like... And they don't even officially say that they're Dark Troopers yet at that point. Nope. We just look at them, and those of us that play Dark Forces 2 went, Oh, hey, Dark Troopers. Oh, oh, hey. (laughs) Look at that. After the heiress is the Siege, Chapter 12. The Mandalorian rejoins old allies for a new mission. Uh, his ride's busted and he has to go back to get it fixed in Navarro. <laughs> yes. This is the one that kind of ties into the sequel trilogy. Like, they're cloning fucking Force users there. Yeah. Yeah, That's, when they actually go raid the base and shit. That base is where Palpatine is going. Yeah, that's like from, early... Like, that's like early... Early Snoke making or mm-hmm. yeah, whatever uh, is going on at the end, beginning of Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, that's like, this those is are like, like Snoke alpha, alpha versions. Yeah, this is what's happening there. Uh, also super interesting that nothing else really gets done with this season. It was a good way to like tie in and throw hints to what that what happened there without too heavily tying it in. It also is the thing I point to anytime people are like, oh, no, they're going to reboot the sequels. Oh, well, they reboot the prequels, so clearly they're not doing it here. And look, they're fucking laying groundwork for it. Uh, they specifically say that Grogu has a high M count. Yep. And we're all just like, Ugh. I don't have the same problem with Metachlorians that most people do. Metachlorians explain the how, not the why. Yeah. Um... I don't know. If you try and explain them as the why, it stops being fun. But, and not even necessarily the how. It could just be them being like, man, these metachlorians, like, 
aren't what give you the force, but they sure hang out with people around the force. Right, right. Uh, I also get why people want it to be mysterious. I am definitely someone that thinks you don't always need to solve the mystery. Yeah, I guess I I don't think force powers need to come with lice infestation. That's fair. But I guess they're not making them itchy, so... (laughs) This is the episode... This is the first time we see Cara Dune ever since we started finding out that Gina Carrero kind of sucks. Yeah. Uh, And this is where I found out... But continues to be awesome in the show. This is where I found out that I still really love Cara Dune. And she hasn't... Acknowledging that none of her shittiness is directed towards people like me, she hasn't done enough to make me be like, man, I don't want anything to do with her. Just like, man, I think I really would dislike you if I met you in person. Mm-hmm. Get off parlor. What's wrong with you? <laughs> uh, you're not you're not actively terrible enough to be canceled, but you're actively terrible enough that I wouldn't want to hang out with you ever. No, like, I'm not gonna celebrate you, but man. You play a tough, tough woman pretty well. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. You haven't Tim Allen yourself yet. Um, I did not expect to see his first bounty. Oh, back there and like hanging out with them. Right. I'm mean, not really hanging out with them, being fucking blackmailed by them to be their driver. That was fun. That was nice that thing. actually played out a lot better than I thought it was going to, and the 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 fucking. The control panel being where it was, being that fucking call out to like, just the this terrible... is a terrible setup. What's going on here? Like that made me laugh pretty hard. I really liked that. This this series has been pretty willing to poke the holes in the Star Wars canon that fans have been doing lovingly forever. Like we don't know why it's designed like this either. <laughs> this is fucking terrible. <laughs> and it wouldn't make sense if an Imperial did that. Mm-hmm. But someone else that's just a dude being like, this is weird. Like, why would anyone ever do <laughs> this? Oh, I do want to point out. Um, sorry, because I, I forgot to bring it up. The last episode, The Heiress, was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. Nice. This one, The Siege, was done by Carl Weathers. Oh, really? Yeah. For Carl. Yeah. That's so he got to star and direct this one. Yeah. I'm not always the biggest fan of that because I think sometimes it splits their focus too much. But this was pretty well done. Like that, I that's, so too. that's a problem with Star Trek 3. That's not a problem with uh, the siege. Yeah. Okay. Chapter 13. Here's the, where we start to have more things to say. The Jedi. Surprising no one, Rosario Dawson does a very good job as Ahsoka Tano. Uh, The Mandalorian journeys to a world ruled by a cruel magistrate who has made a powerful enemy, also known as Ahsoka Tano, shows up. And holy... This was the one where I was like, oh, no, sit down, the Marshal. This episode is where it's fucking at right now. Because it was beautiful in oh so many ways. Um, Much more reminiscent of Samurai than previous ones. But not just that. Like, they did it in a very stylized way. Mm -hmm. I felt like this... Just as much as they leaned really heavy, heavily into the samurai aspect, um, a little bit. They lean really heavily in one scene into the Western aspect with the showdown between 
uh, oh, Mando and Michael Bean, and just sort of showed how similar the two things truly are. Mm-hmm. But also, it felt pulpy. It was very pulpy. It was. It felt like everything was kind of just ratcheted up and turned just a little bit extra dark and fantastical. The fucking. All the heavy influences of Star Wars really showed through here by making it kind of dark and instead of going for this big galaxy wide thing, condensing it all into this very small story. Who directed this one? Because the more you point that out, the more impressed I am by it. Uh, this one was both written and directed by Dave Filoni. That does not surprise me at all. Favreau let Filoni bring Ahsoka into the live action. Filoni didn't create Ahsoka, but he really quickly was like, okay, Ahsoka's my baby. I've got this. And everyone just trusts him with it. The way the way he shot that city and the lighting and everything about the atmosphere that this episode brought, a fucking Conan story could have just been easily happening in mm-hmm. that city. Change up a little bit of the technology so it's, you know, arrows instead of blasters or just swords would have been perfectly fine. That fight she has with her two lightsabers versus the Cortorsa's spear. uh, Or not Cortorsa's, Beskar spear, thank you. Um, So cool. She was 100% just playing with that girl or with that woman. Like... That fight that she had, they made it very good, but considering the fights that we've seen Ahsoka have, I'm like, come on. <laughs> like, Ahsoka, stop fucking around with this lady. I heard one per I, I saw one I don't I don't necessarily how much I really buy this. I saw one person trying to explain it away as best they could that it was a little bit more even than Ahsoka just fucking with her. Uh-huh. In that Ahsoka has very rarely, if ever, had to deal with a weapon that can parry and block her lightsabers that actually carries momentum behind it. That's interesting. And that does make some sense. And also just, whatever, plot capability. Sometimes yeah. your fighters... That doesn't bother me. No, it was, but, it was still a good fight. But I was like, you have fought Darth Maul a bunch of times. This woman should not be a problem for you. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. That's why I'm like, like, Ahsoka's just being nice and not using any force right now, basically. Cece was like, man, is this woman going to be surfing Darth Maul? Is he alive again? Which I'd be actively mad about if he were. Uh, Because his end in Rebels is so good that I I was never super on board with bringing him back anyways. Mm. But his end on Rebels is so good that I don't care. Mm -hmm. Uh, But bringing him back again, again, I would have been like, nope. Fucking Colin shenanigans on this one. Uh, but we get Thrawn. Or not, we don't get Thrawn, but we get mention of Thrawn. We get mention of Thrawn. We get the official name. Mm-hmm. I've already been using it this episode, but Grogu. Before we dive into that, I do want to say the one thing that disappoints me about this. And it's not this episode's fault. It just means one thing I really wanted I'm not going to get because of the route they're choosing to take. At the end of Rebels, it really seems like it's going to be Ahsoka and Sabine going on Girl Power Adventure Hour to track down Ezra Bridger and Grand Admiral Thrawn, who both disappear at the end of the series. And I really wanted an animated version of that. And I'm super not fucking getting that, which is too bad. 
But what I'm getting is going to be pretty fucking cool at the same time. Um, Grogu's growing on me. Not my favorite name ever, but... It was time to name the child, and I don't think... I'm glad it wasn't a Y name. Yes, I am too, and I don't think there was really a win available there. Grogu is perfectly fine. It... It is not a Y name, but it still sounds similar enough to kind of whatever language is making names like Yoda and Yaddle. Yeah. That it doesn't feel wildly off for me. It's good to see the kid have a name and stop calling him Baby Yoda. Like, I know they tried for the child, but that didn't really work. And also, it just lets him have more personality when you let... There's a reason we have names. Like, it, it makes him feel like more of a person mm-hmm. uh it gave us one of the cutest scenes ever in anything star wars with right. mando simply saying grogu and and grogu holding goes, up the ball Ooh. oh yeah Ooh. and then holding up the ball because he's like maybe i don't know maybe if there's something he cares about and he's like yo <laughs> and he just, i just love that he says grogu again just to get him to turn his head and he just starts chuckling about it he's just grogu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so he almost gives like a seth rogan chuckle just <laughs> I'm a dad now. Um, this season has been doing one of the earlier episodes. He had Grogu trying to like plug in wires and stuff. And that was a fun interaction bit. But this was the one where you really. You see the affection he has for the kid. Like we've seen kind of the loyalty and the protectiveness and stuff before. But here is where you are starting to see them as like a team. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. And I just I think part of it is when you give Grogu more character, you make the relationship between the two of them stronger. Also, like, I don't know, like, Filoni's influences exactly, but just going back to the way that that city was shot some, it reminded me so heavily of the booby-trapped city in Takashi Miike's 13 Assassins, and that is... One of the highest compliments I can give, because I think Takashi Miike is just on another level. So the fact that I was sitting there, I'm like, 13 is that? 13 what? 13 Jedi? (laughs) I'm in. Fuck, that'd be cool. Uh, Was that a blaster shotgun that he had? Or was I imagining that? Like, I swear I saw, like, scatter shot at one point. Maybe. That... I could have told you if I would have rewatched it this week like I meant to. Yeah, guys, we did not prepare well for this. This is on us. That was, like, I thought that was the highest that, that the Mandalorian would bring me. And then the next episode gave me chapter 14, The Tragedy. Not this cool. The thing that excited us most immediately is going to Tython. Hmm. Tython, you... I mean, you played Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah. Did you ever play Old Republic? Uh, a little bit, yeah, yeah. That's the planet that the Jedi start on. The, like, oh, okay. the good guys. Yeah. The, the Republic side starts on. Right, Tython. okay. In the original uh, expanded universe, Tython was where the first Jedi were formed. Mm. Before they were even the Jedi Order. Uh, the Jedi. Which were more like a balance-obsessed group. Uh, and then... Octo, the from the sequel trilogy, had the first Jedi temple in it in the sequel. So we didn't know if Tython even existed anymore. Right. But we'd always been really fond of it as a planet. So it was so cool just to see that it still existed and see what was going to happen there. 
And we didn't get anything that made it special other than this one little temple place, but it was still... Well, and here's the... Yeah, that's true. You didn't get much of the actual planet. Here's what blew me away right from the get-go. Coming off of the Jedi, we're told, you know, by Ahsoka, this is what Grogu has to go do. You have to go to Tython. He's got to choose whether he's going to use the beacon or not. Call out to a Jedi and maybe somebody will show up. Mm -hmm. It sounds like she's giving what the rest of the season is going to be. And... And then you're in at All of Tython those things happen, but none later. of the way that you were expecting it to be either. Yeah. Also, just straight to Tython. Uh, at this, did he already have the tracker in his ship by this point? Yes. I think it's the episode before that the tracker gets put in. Okay, yes. I just wanted to check. Uh, well, and here's the other thing. I didn't think this was going to be an important episode because I'm like, okay, there's only two episodes after this. Mm -hmm. We just got, which are going to be, you know, probably the biggest two episodes of the series, if it's anything like last season. This will be a, a quick standalone episode before we jump into the endgame. Right, especially because this is also another guest director. You have Robert Rodriguez directing this one. Did not know that. That makes sense. Uh, who, if you guys don't know who Bob Rod is, did like uh, Al Mariachi, Desperado, Spy Kids, Sin City. I fucking um, love that Spy Kids is in the middle of that. <laughs> Sharp Boy, Love Girl 3D. Um, His period of time where he's like, I'm going to make fucking superhero movies for my kids. All right, cool. That's fun. Let's go back to Grindhouse. Like, <laughs> Right, because he did. Um, what, what was his Planet Terror of yeah. the Grindhouse? And then more recently, um, Alita Battle Angel. That was also good old Bob Rod. I fucking love Robert Rodriguez. I know you do. You when, are built. Everything about you is built to love Rob Rod. Um, but this was one of my favorite episodes of the season. Not just that. The, the director of photography on this episode is a guy by the name of Dave Klein. He's uh, the one that started with Kevin Smith. He did Kevin Smith's first seven movies, eight movies. He also has done a lot of other stuff. Like, he's a really good but DP. Clerks but is where he but got Clerks started. is his start, yeah. Yeah. Because I remember reading Kevin Smith being like, holy shit, my buddy. Uh, for a, an episode that is remarkably plot light, like, most of this is just let's kill stormtroopers now. Mm -hmm. That is in no way a critique, by the way. Just getting that out there. This is probably my favorite episode of the entire series so far. Uh, top three. Meta reasons, of course. Bob Rod and, and Dave. Return of Boba. We Badass get... dad bod Boba. I, okay. I recognize that Tamura... What is that? Tamura Morrison. Morrison. Did not play Boba Fett in the previous... Like, I mean, he, I know he played Django, but he didn't play like Boba, Boba. Fett in yeah. the sequels. Uh, but I wondered at all if it was weird... To talk more in your, like, first five minutes than Boba Fett has in the entirety of Star Wars before this point. Because, um, I mean, even in, like, Attack of the Clones, he mostly just went, Dad! Yeah, that's true. Also, I really love the picture of all three actors who have played Boba Fett together. Like, him and Logan something, I, and uh, yeah, the guy that died recently that I'm Jeremy sad about. Yeah. Fennec Shand, alive. Thank fucking God. Last season, we talked about this, that I thought it was such a waste to get her. Also, Fennec Shand is going to be showing up in the Bad Batch. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. That's cool. Fennec is so cool in this series. Gaffy stick. Lethal as hell. 
I have made gaffy sticks before for Belagarth for my wacky bats. There's not like they're not technically legal to the rules, but I took all like the safety rules and made one. And we're like, anyone mind if I play with this? Uh, Grizz, who was on our avatar episode, fucking hates it. <laughs> but even I, I messaged him being like, hey, hey, hey. He's like, yeah, it looks really dangerous. <laughs> it's so cool. I've always loved the design of the gaffy stick. And this shows like, oh, yeah, that is that's a real thing. I want to make one when I learn to forge. And then Razorcrest destroyed. The moment that happened, both CC and Ark, well, Tyler's going to be happy. They gave me everything I fucking wanted Why in Star Wars. Why do you Wars. hate that ship so it's much? looks terrible to me. He's driving a fucking with space Winnebago. Well, yes, but... <laughs> I He doesn't have to have the coolest, sleekest looking ship of all time. But him driving around a fucking space Winnebago bugs the shit out of me. And not only that, like, it's not even roomy on the inside. It's true. It is a very tight ship. Yeah. Largely because he has a whole bunch of, like, keeping prisoners tech in there, but... If it was a space Winnebago and at least was roomy on the inside, then I would get it. But it's, like, both shit. (laughs) Your hatred of the ship is hilarious. It is not my favorite ship by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it looked kind of cool like it okay um plus, i'm excited to see po- what he gets next plus ever since you pointed out how close it looks to the serenity as well serenity awesome. and it looks like jaster muriel's ship jango's mm. teacher but jaster's ship looked better this fits into the world of star wars a little better but the original design that it kind of looks like of uh was a neater looking ship in mm. my opinion um I'm sad that his uh, phase rifle got destroyed, though. The phase rifle got destroyed is a bummer. It was kind of fun to watch him just pick up the Beskar spear. I'm like, yeah, man, that thing was fucking meant. I don't believe in destiny, but now that we're in Star Wars, you were chosen for this spear. Yeah. (laughs) I also just like seeing it's I mean, it's not just a normal spear. It's fucking Beskar. But in the world of Star Wars, it's basically just a normal spear. Like, Mm -hmm. It's not a fucking light weapon. It's not a vibro weapon. It is a spear. In the world of laser guns, he's just like, stab. <laughs> I'll stab you, and I'll stab you, and I'm going to jetpack over here and stab you. Also, it's a little shorter than my shortest spear that I use in Belagarth is about six feet. That looks like mm. it's about five. Yeah. But I had already been thinking about making about a five-foot spear, and like that kind of small spear fighting is a lot of fun to do. So it's a lot of fun to see on TV as well. You mentioned the jetpack. He takes off his jetpack in the beginning That's conversation the with Boba. That's the dumbest part of the episode. And he just fucking like bolts up that hill. Man, put on your jetpack. It'll take you a tenth the time. And really, they just had to... He, he can... It as, was a weakness in the plot. There were too many things they could do, he could do if he still had the jetpack to get the kids still. Yeah. So they had to write it out. But I would have rather they just done something so he couldn't like have the jetpack get shot something like that like there are ways around it other than he's just happens to not be wearing it i will say that is the glaring weakness to this episode and i can't defend like it's so fucking stupid that he doesn't get his fucking jetpack <laughs> come they, on man there's no good reason in the episode that he doesn't get his jetpack back but i will forgive it because i recognize they're like well we have a plot thing we're on a schedule. Let's do this. I liked, I can't read Mandalorian, but I like seeing the chain code just saying that like 
look, this was my father Django's. This, this is me. me. I'm Boba. Whatever. It, yeah. Uh, it did a nice little world build. It explains to an extent why in Clone Wars, they're like, Jango Fett is not a Mandalorian. We don't know why he has that armor, especially if his dad was, or like if his dad was raised by the, the children of the watch or something and broke away, Mm -hmm. or he was just a foundling who didn't stick with them and was on the losing side. Doesn't mean he's not a foundling. There is a whole lot of ways to explain why people weren't like accepting him as Mandalorian, even though he's fucking Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. And it brings us an, in some ways closer to Mandalorians of the expanded universe than we have seen so far. Cause we've seen, you know, the watch, we have seen the fucking religious cultists, we have seen people like Bo-Katan, who are political Mandalorians, who are very devoted to Mandalore as a planet. Boba, even though he never really claims to be Mandalorian, is 100% classic wanderer, badass Mandalorian, who is Mandalorian, even if it's not like the entirety of his identity that he's Mandalorian. Right. To him, it's the least important part. Yeah, 100%. He's just like, this is my dad's armor. Fuck off. Yeah. Also... It's just so cool. Even the stupid little knee rockets that I really hate. <laughs> the knee the knee rockets I love in the same way I love the fucking rocket punch in Pacific Rim. I'll give you that like it it's funny when it happens and it's kind of cool, but at the same time the amount that I like jam my knee against things on accident makes me go, "Don't put explosives there. What's wrong with you?" Like <laughs> the uh the bend over rocket shot, just like the fucking toy. Yeah. Oh, that was satisfying. The was in, this the episode where we get the seismic charges dropped out of the? Uh... No, that's next. That's episode, next. Okay. Um, we get him throwing explosives. We get to see his Mandalorian gauntlets that have a different setup than than Jar- Din Djarin's has. Mm-hmm. Like they both have the flamethrower, and I think they both have the cable. Cable. But instead of the whistling birds, he has, like, two extra blasters just chucked in there. Um, The one thing I couldn't figure out is at one point he, like, punches a stormtrooper. And the stormtrooper, like, something comes out of his gauntlet and his stormtrooper is, like, thrown backwards. Looks like he's got, like, a little jet on him or something like that. Like, I couldn't figure out quite what was happening there, but it looked cool. Yeah, I'd have to take a look at that again. I do love dad bod uh, Boba. I, I love that he's, like, still wearing his fucking robes, which robes should be an everyday part of just normal civilization. Also, I love that even with dad bod Boba, the armor fits him better than it did Cobb Vanth. Oh, it looked so wrong on Cobb Vanth. I still, I still kind of... I liked it. I liked but, it. Yeah, it was weird because it looked wrong, but I liked it. Like... Uh, I... Lo- they appear every once in a while, but the really weirdly tall and skinny Mandalorians, which is what he looked like when he first showed up with all of it... Uh, is a good look, but, you know, you can do it in a way that it actually, like, looks like it fits right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very much, this is Boba's armor. Bam. And then, by the way, we've told you for years that Boba's a badass, right? Now we're gonna show you for literally the first time! <sighs> Outside worth- of, like, comics and stuff where he's really cool. It was um, worth the wait. Because, I mean, in Empire, he doesn't do, he literally does nothing. In Jedi, he gets taken out almost immediately by a blind man on accident. 
Mm-hmm. And then even in Clone Wars, he's young Boba, who's mostly just like whiny revenge kid. We don't see Old the super soldier. Leave me the fuck alone. Let me just go do my shit. And I'm going to get it out there. Disney era Boba is much more interesting than expanded universe Boba. Just that tiny moment of he's like, I made you a deal. You didn't even agree to the deal, but that doesn't matter. We have like, I got to follow it. Yeah. Let's go save your son. Dark Troopers from just got the, the kid. Empire is so much more interesting than Boba Fett in the expanded universe that doesn't really do much. Mm-hmm. He becomes Mandalore and takes over the Mandalorians, but even then, they're all basically wearing Boba Fett's like exact armor. He's just making little Boba Fett's like we get more of his personality than anywhere else that I've really read Boba Fett, and I say that as a longtime fan of Mandalorians. The tragedy leads into the believer. To move against the Empire, the Mandalorian needs the help of an old enemy. Before we dive into that plot part, but still it comes up, let's talk about Boba Fett upgrading his armor in between the two episodes. Dude, when he came out looking so fresh and so fucking clean. Fresh is exactly it. Like, I I didn't think I was going to like it. I really liked it. It looked good. I liked... Boba Fett's old beat up armor because it showed like use and stuff, but it looks really, again, fresh. I'm just going to use that because I'm tired. And then on top of it, it made sense. I read somewhere they're like, oh, well, all that other damage in a lot of cases was damage that happened when he wasn't wearing it. Right. He's just going to have the damage that he's done. Like he's going to wear his own scars. He doesn't need to wear someone else's. Also, it got beat to shit when a Sarlacc tried to eat it. So, you know. Some like some, some <laughs> if you get basic ate by care. <laughs> like <laughs> if you get ate by something, you don't necessarily have to wear all of those scars. <laughs> Too many scars. Put some of those scars back. The you face can, scar is enough. You can also keep your stuff looking nice. <laughs> it looks real good. It would have you couldn't have done just because Tamura doesn't have that build of what Boba had in Empire. Mm-hmm. Which one? He's just an age where it'd be kind of weird if he had that build. And two, Boba's at an age where it'd be weird if he still looked like how he did like 10, 15 years in a pre-Sarlacc earlier. Um, but the the all black underneath it made it look very clean as opposed to usually he had like kind of a the gray jumpsuit. Yeah. Yeah. It looked. There's not a version of Boba Fett's look that I don't like, which is kind of fun to see. But it was also nice to see that they weren't so like slavishly devoted to how he looked in 1980 when that movie came out that they couldn't do new interesting things with him. I will there. There's nothing specific that jumps to mind. There's a a few weird angles where the transition from armor to the robe looks weird, but Mm -hmm. you're just going to get that. It happens. Is he still wearing the robe in the second armor too, or is he moved on to more of a, there's something still flowy. Okay. That makes sense. This episode does continue the tradition of Boba Fett's one of the coolest people here while doing almost nothing. (laughs) Um, Dude, I just about fucking filled the cup when we got to see the inside action on the Slave One. Of the rotating of the cop. Yeah, seeing how Slave One really works. And it's so much bigger than fucking anyone realizes. (laughs) 
I mean, it helps that he has absolutely no need for significant cargo other than like a couple of mm-hmm. a, a couple of things. So he actually has room for people, a, yeah, people, and a place to live. Like, he can throw a party. It's not Serenity sized, but it's it's built for staying in. How do we want to go about this episode? We go about this episode by saying. I guess technically I knew this because I watched Breaking Bad, but holy shit, Bill Burr can actually act. Also, I didn't know I was going to start to care about Bill Burr's character. Well done. Right? Holy shit, you made me care about Mayfeld. You made me hope that he comes back again at some point. Yeah, and I was ready for him to come back. I thought it'd be cool, but as a, like, you know, hunter out for revenge. No, I kind of want him to join the crew at this point. Yeah, yeah. He was amazing. This episode manages to make you happy to hear the sounds of a fucking TIE fighter. Yeah? Yeah. Also, it brings the Juggernaut tanks back into existence, which is cool. Those things have existed since the 90s. And they keep being like, oh, we don't know if these count anymore. And then, oh, they slip them in. And then, like, I don't think they're in Revenge of the Sith, but they were in a cut scene or something like that. They might have shown up briefly in Revenge. Uh, Fennec and Kara both get to be badasses. Yeah. The this move, this episode and the next, where we get the kind of like girl power squad that shows up, mm-hmm. super satisfying every time it happens, and doesn't feel out of character like it does sometimes when that happens. But holy shit, this episode. Also, another one that's a weird holy shit moment, because you get uh, Din taking off his helmet, and once again, it's not happening under Favreau's watch. This was directed by Rick Famuyiwa. This one was interesting, because this is the one where we really start to see how much he's changed. How much he's changed is really showing through here in ways that mm-hmm. it hadn't before one just what it means for him to be a mandalorian because in the first season if he had taken off that helmet before you know when ig11 did it he just wouldn't be a mando anymore like i doubt he would have let himself put it back on in this case he's like no this is just what has to be done no i'm a mando now i'm still a mando fuck off and i appreciate that we had mayfeld there because we needed someone who could call out these changes on him Without uh, without being, like, too loyal or too understanding of him, but someone being, one, saying, you know, maybe it's not that big of a deal, but also being like, you fucking hypocrite. <laughs> like, you put on a different helmet. That's not what your fucking creed says. When you get one of the... Earlier, we, we pointed out Bo-Katan gets in, like, one of the first big hammer blows to, mm-hmm. like, his Mandalorian identity, like... Dude, you were basically just raised by a cult. And this one, Mayfeld has the fucking... Just throws another haymaker at that with the... Look, all I'm saying is that you're born on Mandalore, you believe in one thing. You believe in all... You were born on Alderaan, you believe in another thing. And guess what? Neither of them exist anymore. Yeah. Also, the... Just everything about... He was real hard on him, but it was all... There was a point... The thing I didn't expect was Mayfield being proven right, that everyone has their, like, oh, I stand by my creed up until a point. Mm-hmm. He's correct in it, but it's not in a really dark way that he's proven correct. Like, usually that's a very uh, 
It's like you're going to turn to the dark side. Yeah, it's not, I want to say sarcastic, but that's not the word I'm thinking of. It's cynical, cynical mm-hmm. way of looking at it. But Mayfeld proves it true himself of like, fuck, we're just all trying to survive. I don't really stand for anything. And then we find out that his basically creed, if I don't really stand for anything, I'm just looking after myself, is super not fucking true. And like his entire persona of I don't care about other people is 100% an act. Um, I kind of want Rangers of the New Republic to be him and Cara Dune going on adventures together. That'd be pretty cool. Also, we get to see him actually be a sharpshooter. Yep. We see him get to be a sharpshooter. We get to see a lot of stuff without just the admittedly super cool third gun that he has in Mm -hmm. uh, his first appearance, which I wanted back the entire time. Uh, The officer Mm -hmm. is actually represented in one of the posters in this room. Absolutely psychotic. Who is he? Uh, The actor's name is Richard Brake. In my Three from Hell poster, he is the third silhouette. Oh, okay. That ventures a little bit more into my world, obviously. That's very much more into your world. He's a horror character actor more for the most part lately, but he's uh, also very notable as being the first Night King on Game of Thrones. Oh, cool. Yeah. He is the wild look in his eyes as he goes... Hardcore fanatic is real good. Well, I wasn't even sure it was him at first, even though I'm a fan of the guy. Like I was sitting there, You're and I'm used like, to seeing him in stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, and like the last couple times I've seen him in things, he's been a bit grungier and like facial hair and stuff. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, is that Richard Brake? I think that's Richard. Is that Richard Brake? I'm like, if it's not Richard Brake, they probably should have just hired hit Richard Brake to do this because he would kill it in this role. And then as I was like, when the episode got over with, I went and tried to look up some of the credits instead of just paying attention to the credits that were <laughs> flashing, on, <laughs> flashing on the screen in front of me. And I looked up the wrong episode and I'm like, oh, no, it wasn't Richard Brake. And I told Danny, I'm like, oh, dude, you're going to enjoy getting up to this episode because there's this dude that he should have been played by Richard Brake. But you're going to know exactly who I'm talking about. And he's like, what? You mean fucking Richard Brake? <laughs> no, well, no, he's like, oh, yeah, I watched that episode. I know exactly. But by the time he watched it, I found out it was Richard Brake. So he's like, oh, yeah, I watched that episode. And like, oh, dude, you're exactly right. Like, like that dude is like 100% Richard Brake. And I'm like, no, dude, you're right. That dude was 100%. <laughs> I fucked up the first time I told you about it. <laughs> um, I think it was important for Mando to see someone else who's basically in a murder cult and be like, okay, I don't want to be that. Like, it didn't really, they didn't really do anything about that. I think it's important for Mando to see moments like that, though, mm-hmm. even if it's not a major plot point. Uh, I do love. Pedro Pascal's acting here as someone who is not used to people being able to see his expression and the hardcore panic attack he's having the entire time this is going down. Yeah. Like, one, it makes sense that he's not used to people being able to see his face. So when they think he's like super cool as a cucumber about everything inside, his eyes are just like the size of saucepans being like, oh, my God, this is insane. (laughs) We're doing insane things right now. Um, And then also just, he bent his code to breaking point to put on the armor that he was wearing before this. Now he's just hanging out in front of people without his helmet on. He's not, like, misreading the rules. He's just flagrantly abandoning 
for a reason, but still. Mm -hmm. Chapter 16, The Rescue. Real quick before that one. When we find out that Mayfeld was part of Operation Cinder, which was literally just the Emperor's revenge plan. Oh, right. Right. Well, I've lost, so the moment I die, this order goes across the galaxy to just murder people. Oh, boy. Like, his PTSD from that, his just the fact that that happened, it was a subtle piece of really important world building that had been mentioned before, but we'd never seen it in, like, the movies or the TV show, which tend to be the Mm -hmm. most important canon, like, the stuff that sticks. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, the rescue. Okay, now the rescue. Uh, The Mandalorian and his allies attempt a daring rescue. So this episode follows in a lot of ways the same plot points of the first season. Like, he puts together a team of people he met across the season to do a big rescue involving Grogu. Mm -hmm. I think as an episode, I think I liked last season's ending better. Again, I think it all ties up a little more. I didn't have as strong an emotional reaction to this episode as a lot of people did. This episode's fucking cool. This episode's really fucking cool. I had a stronger emotional reaction to something else other than what most people seem to have. But we'll get there. Okay. Also, I really like this Imperial Cruiser. The It's not the first time we've seen it, but it's the, like, mini Star Destroyer. Mm-hmm. I've always thought these things just look slick. Sorry, I know what I forgot to bring up in the Believer. Oh, the seismic charges were dope. Oh, yeah. You mean... Yeah. All and, right. And, and we it, knew they existed because we had seen them in Attack of the Clones. So it was an, a nice callback. Same sound. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, the rescue. I mean, like you said, it was kind of the same thing we got last season. Like, it's all of them. I'm just like, how are they going to... How are they going to end it mm-hmm. to make it still something special? Like, we kind of know what this is going to be going into it. Like, you could, it's kind of paint by numbers in a way. Especially once they tell you what the plan is actually going to be with him sort of splitting off after, with them creating a diversion and shit. And you're like, okay, well, he's going to have the fucking the spear on him, which means he's going to end up going against the Darksaber, which means Moff Gideon is going to be whichever way he goes. And like, Yeah, that part wasn't a surprise at all. Watching him fight the Dark Trooper was kind of fun. Watching him, like... Not necessarily realize they're droids, so when he, like, launches them out into space, you're like, yeah! And I was like, well, that's not going to go well. That's not going to do what they want it to do. The Dark Troopers being powered up to, like, dark dubstep was fucking dope. (laughs) No, that fight against the Dark Trooper was... Brutal. Yeah. I was like... Fucking brutal. I was on the edge of my seat. I'm like, how the fuck are you getting out of this? Like, I understand how you're not getting killed right away, thanks to the fucking Beskar, but what what are you going to do? Because you just got pounded in the face 75 times in, like, a minute. So I recognize that the Beskar is designed to cover the places you're most likely to get shot and where your people are trained to shoot at, but for fuck's sake, people... Like, when you realize that that's the armored spot, just aim a little higher. Yeah. Aim for his neck. Come on, man. (laughs) That was brutal as fuck. Yeah, it was. I mean, this episode, it did a good job of establishing the threat that the Dark Troopers were, so that that ending also had me on the edge of my seat. Like, I know somebody's showing up, but who the fuck's, how the fuck are they getting out of this? (laughs) 
I got spoiled on what was going to happen before I could watch the episode. Right, because you I don't, mean, you didn't get to watch it till like. I watched it. I think the next hours. day. <laughs> yeah, it was like twelve. Literally, I woke up at four a.m. on Friday because I had to work, and I opened up Facebook, and people were already talking about it. I'm like, it's been out for literally. F- Why are you people awake even? Yeah, I think I started it like five minutes after it dropped just because I was waiting for my food to get done so I could eat it with it. And then I also, I didn't realize just how much I was waiting for this finale until when I was starting the finale, I got really weirded out that my room was so cold and I couldn't understand why I was shaking until I realized it wasn't the cold. I was just like... You were just fucking... uh, That's pretty good, actually. Uh... Uh, so what got me where I was super fucking happy wasn't the Luke bit. I got to see the Viper of Dorne with the fucking spear again. Oh, yeah. I, I can see what I, that fight scene was real good. It was I, really well choreographed. I really don't know well if it's shot. one of the like all time top Star Wars fight scenes, but it's a very enjoyable one. And it's probably my favorite that I've seen him have. Other than breaking Grogu out of the uh, the the place that oh he first took him mm-hmm. in the first season, but that was just him killing a bunch of nameless stormtroopers. Like as a him fighting someone, this was such a good. It was so cool, and I like seeing people fight with spears. There's a reason the spear was the dominant weapon in the world for thousands of years. Yeah, reading the books. Fucking the Viper of Dorne was one of my favorite characters of Game of Thrones. And then when the series was going, that's where I first fell in love with Pedro Pascal. I was like, oh, you're bringing the Viper to life. This is so good. And his fight with the mountain is amazing. That's the and one Until the I've end seen. happens. Yeah, until he's dumb. Uh... And then you get this episode where he just got done not having his head crushed. <laughs> and now he has to fight a fucking lightsaber. And now he's fighting... The fight a lightsaber with a spear, and I get to see him do all the fancy spear moves. I was really worried he was going to burn through the Beskar spear at one point. Like, I did mm-hmm. not expect to be this attached to the spear this quickly. Uh, ugh, watching the Darksaber move is always amazing. Just something about the, like, flat lightsaber blade with the white light surrounding the black. It just looks awesome. Yeah. And then he bests Gideon. Gideon's way too happy about it, so you know something else is coming. Mm-hmm. Real quick, him being Gideon being like, sure, take him, whatever. Come on, Din. I mean, he was ready enough. Yeah, but, but, like, he did get hit with the fucking like, lightsaber. Like, he's really lucky mm-hmm. that, uh, that Moff Gideon didn't decide to go for the classic Mando kill move of decapitation. Right. I agree. But eh, he was ready enough. (laughs) It worked out. It worked out. When the single X-Wing showed up, I wasn't convinced. They did a really good job of hiding the face throughout most of that fight, so I still didn't know for sure. The moment they were hiding the face, it was really obvious to me who it was. I thought that that just meant that they were still going to pull a fake out. Mm. They're hiding the face because they faked you out with the single X-Wing. Okay, I could see that. And then the green lightsaber pops up and you're like, 
Ooh. The green, I'm like 50% there. But then they showed the two different hands, I'm like 95% there. Mm -hmm. But I still wasn't going to believe it 100% until I fucking saw that CG. <laughs> okay, so I watched this on a pretty small tablet just because I still don't have Wi-Fi at the house. So the CG didn't bother me as much as it does a lot of people. But yeah, I'm I also, not digging it. I also recognize that I didn't... I haven't seen it in big enough detail. Um, I am not a fan of doing that in the first place. Like, I thought Tarkin was really creepy in Rogue One, and I didn't think Leia worked particularly well in Rogue One either. Uh, I thought they did a very good job with them in Rise of Skywalker when they did that technology. But it was also for, you know, like... Three seconds. Mm -hmm. It was fine. Um, I just... It, I, I thought they did a good job of making sure that the focus was mostly off of him. Um, and that there was kind of limited movements when it was on him. Did you want it to be Luke Skywalker? Or did you not want it to be Luke Skywalker? I'm curious. No, the, the, the two that I wanted most to be was... Uh, either Cal Kestis from Fallen Order, mm -hmm. especially because it kind of makes sense because his whole story is about a holocron containing a list of Force-sensitive children. Oh, cool. That he needs to make sure that doesn't fall into the hands of the... That would make sense, yeah. Or Quinlan Voss. I would have shit bricks if it had been Quinlan Voss. I think Quinlan Voss is the type of character who... Uh, with the tendencies that Grogu has displayed would make a really good teacher for him. In the expanded universe, he survived Executive Order 66, too. He actually falls to the dark side, sires a kid with a smuggler, goes back to the light side, decides he's going to keep staying with his smuggler lady because she's awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and they survive Executive Order 66. I was so excited. Quinlan Voss is... One of my all-time favorite Jedi. Mostly because of comics that don't count anymore. Uh, but John Ostrander, who created the Suicide Squad and uh, Grimjack, oh, yeah. was the guy who created Quinlan Voss and told that entire <laughs> storyline. Not the entire, but an enough of it. It was mm -hmm. like one of his go-tos. Oh my god, I'm just so mad it's not Quinlan Voss now. Thanks for that. <laughs> I mean, I'm fine with it being Luke. I'm not bothered by it being Luke. I didn't feel a strong need for it to be Luke. I love, I love, 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 love that we get the Luke version of the Vader hallway in Rogue One. Yeah. And that we kind of get to see how much of his father he still has in him. Because some of that shit he was doing was pretty fucking brutal. It was just directed towards droids. He was taught to be... Brutal. Uh, and we see bits of it in M or in Return of the Jedi after his fight in Empire. He's not fucking around anymore. I mean, first time we see him, he starts fucking force choking someone in Return. I mean, um, they finally gave us the Luke that would have made me want to be Luke out on the playground when we played fucking Star Wars as kids. Because nobody ever wanted to fucking be Luke then. Oh, man, I was fine with being Luke, but... Uh, Other than he had a lightsaber and could use the force. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Yes, everyone wanted to be Han Solo. Americans are obsessed with being Han Solo. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to see more. It wasn't... I, I don't know why I want the Skywalkers to kind of stick to the movies. Especially because Anakin was much better in Clone Wars than he was in... The movies. The movies. 
still a punk. Uh, I don't know. I just want to see the wider world, but at the same time, I don't want to cheapen Luke too much by having too many other Jedi. Mm-hmm. He's not my choice. I'm not unhappy with the choice. That's really what it is. I want to see what's... I mean, if Quinlan Voss or someone like that had been the choice, you could have brought them on to the crew. It would have made sense with it. You can't ever put Luke in this show too much without no. it becoming the Luke show. Like, it's just... He's Luke fucking Skywalker. I am worried that... Until Grogu shows up to save Mando's ass in season five, we're going to be lucky to get glimpses of his training. I Lucky to get glimpses. <laughs> I think Grogu's going to be back in the first half of the next season. Mm. And unfortunately, like there would, they did such a good little payoff here of what's of everything going down with Grogu and him finding a master that because we can't get more Luke, the payoff is going to feel cheap really soon when Grogu comes back. I think. Also, fandom is right that it would have worked really well to have Sebastian Stan play the role. I'm yeah. not surprised he didn't go for it. Although people being like, oh, he does movies like. Let's be honest, man. Movie stars and TV stars are starting to get a lot more blurred than they mm -hmm. used to be. Of course, I shed tears, though, when Din takes off his fucking helmet to say goodbye, because that was just sad. I was a little thrown by it, but it made sense. And it does also have a tie-in to Before I Leave, Let Me See Your... Mm -hmm. Let Me See Your Real Face is basically I Want to Look Upon You With My Own Eyes. Uh, very Darth Vader and Luke and then Din and Grogu. R2 popping up lighten the mood quite a bit. That it was, was nice. I always like seeing R2, but it wasn't an ah moment for me. I'm still kind of just sitting here, though, like thinking that all the problems with the Darksaber and how everything played out is kind of fucking Bo-Katan's own goddamn fault for not mentioning more about this when they were still in the planning phase of this fucking mission. I really think that she keeps underestimating how little he understands about Mandalorian society and rules. Like, I almost feel like she would have expected him to at least know about the Darksaber. Like, that is Mando legend number one. But he's like, you're the one that fucking called it out. I was grazed in a cult. Like, I'm homeschooled Mando number one. Yeah. <laughs> I just, like, it's almost a basis of Mando religion. I feel like the children would have been obsessed with that. I think they just kind of quietly stopped talking about it because they're trying to be true Mandalorians without the Darksaber. Mm. I don't really think Bo-Katan should be Mandalore. I don't necessarily think Din should be either. He doesn't know enough about his culture. I think it could be a super interesting arc where he learns. Yeah. If I don't we, think that's the show that most people want, but I think uh, I, I think th there's a story there to be told that is interesting. I think Din could be the leader of the Mandalorians. Where he's at now, he's got such a long way to go before it even becomes, but it would be kind of fun to see him with like his top two advisors being Bo-Katan and the Armorsmith. Yeah. Like, with those two playing the different angles of what it means to be Mandalorian, and then Din... Sort of as kind of Yeah, as the kind of Kirk to their Spock and Bones. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could get... I want good things to happen to Mandalore is really what it is. I also want the helmet of Mandalore to become a thing again. It was, in the expanded universe, kind of the same thing the Darksaber is now. Like, 
it was the symbol that you were the leader mm-hmm. of Mandalore. I was kind of thinking the last uh, the last Mandalorian that I spent a long time in any of the media hanging out with that tooled around in all silver armor did become Mandalore. So isn't that Cassis Fett or something? Uh, like that? Candor's uh, Ordo. Candor's Ordo. Thank you. Yeah. I would love to spend more time with Mandalorians with not all of them being like, I could be Mandalore now. But at the same time, it's fun. So have you followed or seen the theory that we've already seen Sabine Wren? Yes. I don't know if I buy it. She's gone under... Have you watched any of Rebels? No, but it was one that I sort of kept up with okay. anyway. Yeah, I mean, she's gone undercover as an Imperial before, but that's pretty deep cover that she's at, if that's the case. And I don't feel like she would be cool with someone experimenting on a kid. Mm. Like, I don't know if she'd be able to hold her cover with that going under on. that circumstance. I'm not mad if it's her, but I don't personally put a whole lot of faith into that um if y'all haven't heard this there's a decently popular fan theory that sabine wren has already been introduced as moff gideon's comms officer that gets highlighted a number of times through the season she's they use the same actress for the same kind of thing and she gets enough speaking roles that she sticks out i don't think it's gonna be I don't think it's going to be Sabine, but I do think that she is going to be someone. Yeah, I think she's going to be working directly for Thrawn. Yep, that would that would make sense. They're putting so much fucking effort into like into build up, which is why when people are like, "Oh man, what if Book of Boba Fett was just Mando season three? Like Din's story's done now that Baby Yoda's gone. Like, how is his story done? Nothing yeah. is resolved." This was like, this was a story. He just got the darks, and even that doesn't feel done to me. Like, I don't buy for a second, as I said. But, like, he just got the Darksaber, the most important weapon in Mandalorian history. Bo-Katan looks like she might fucking murk him at any point, and he doesn't want that fight. I mean, him just being like, yeah, I yield, whatever, take it. Like, it's <laughs> this was the deal, it's yours. It kind of it kind of weirdly reminded me of Neil Gaiman's The Sandman when Dream goes to confront Satan in hell, thinking he's going for a fight, and Satan's just like, "Here's the keys to hell. Have fun, buddy. It's your problem now." <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go do the Lucifer series. <laughs> um, well, and they've got Moff Gideon's ship, but how much? Can they keep it? Are they trying to keep it? Like, what do they do with Moff Gideon? Who's going to keep it? Because Mando still doesn't have an official replacement to yeah. the Razor Crest because Boba fucked on off out of the, after the first yeah, couple Boba minutes. Boba just of left. <laughs> Boba yeeted himself right out of there. He uh, yeeted himself after the credits where... <gasps> we'll we'll get there. I want to so. go through that. But, in th- I mean, I could see the New Republic being like, no, we're fucking claiming this ship. Like, that's, we mm-hmm. need that. Uh, but also, Bo-Katan has legitimate, as legitimate claim as anyone to it. But does Bo-Katan have enough people to staff it? Right. Even? Like, there's, there are so many questions. I could see him buying a new ship. It sounds like 
if he gets Moff Gideon to the New Republic, he gets mad money. But even who gets Moff Gideon? Because both Bo-Katan and uh, oh, Kara. Uh, Kara were pretty intent that they were the ones that were going to take him. Mm-hmm. There's just there's too many unanswered questions for me to have ever believed that. But that brings us to the Book of Boba Fett. I'm pretty sure that I read that that's the same actor who played Bib Fortuna in no like '83. <laughs> that's awesome. I didn't. I wasn't sure on that. I'm gonna Google this real fast and tell you if I'm a dummy. Oh, he was the guy that did the remastered voice for Bib. When they put it out in like 2011. Oh, okay. So he he does have experience playing Bib, but he wasn't the same. Bib has put on some weight. In oh, the and last... he was a uh, Bib in Phantom Menace. Oh, okay. Oh, that's still kind of cool though. And he was actually the voice for uh, General Grievous in Revenge of the Sith. Interesting. Yeah. Bib has put on some. Wait, since Return of the Jedi. (laughs) Fat Bib made me laugh so hard. Like, whoa, you have been living it up. Also, somebody in that scene definitely yells McClunky. (laughs) McClunky? Why? (laughs) I don't... Okay. McClunky! (laughs) Uh, I'll be really curious to see, like, did he just claim all of Jabba's criminal empire, or... All I know is they basically gave him, like... A throne? It was like King Conan. Yeah, it fucking was. What is this going to mean now? I am very excited. And I was not sure I was going to be excited about two shows about people wearing Mandalorian armor happening simultaneously. Well, and it's I also... think I am. So the rumor before this happened was that the standalone Boba show was going to be a little bit of a prequel and show mm-hmm. him how he ended up in the Mandalorian. And we might get some of that, but I don't... But now it's like, I think everyone's really curious, like, what happens now that he's King Boba? Yeah. And, like, is he going to... I don't really see him quite so much as a crime lord. I've seen, other like, uh, is he going to make a bounty hunter's guild of his own? Is he going to... That's some, I was wondering more in that direction. Like, I don't see him hiring smugglers or whatever. Like... And then Fennec is his right-hand fucking crazy-ass super sharp shooter that's going to kill everybody in the fucking world. For a man just trying to make his way in the world, he is now in a really scary position. He could basically make, like, a black sun if he wanted to, and I'd be really into seeing that. You know, Mm -hmm. like, we're a criminal enterprise, but we're operating big enough that you guys have to deal with us as a government in our own right. Would be really fun to see in Star Wars. I don't know, man. I'm excited. Yeah. I don't even, like, guess what's going to happen next season. I already have the guesses of, not really guesses, the questions that we asked earlier. Well, I think it's becoming more and more obvious that we seem to be headed gradually towards Thrawn. It's just how fast do we get there. Mm-hmm. And it could be a couple of seasons, or it could be real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're going to get another season... I think we're going to get Mando Season 3, we're going to get Ahsoka Season 1, we're going to get uh, Book of Boba Fett, and we're going to get Rangers of the Republic Season 1. And then we're going to get a Defenders-like mm-hmm. season, series, something that brings them all together, and I think that's where Thrawn's going to be a thing. Right. 
So I don't think season three, I think three will like have some lead up to it, but I think. But it has to be sort of the thing on the back burner. That's uh-huh. gradual. I, I think we've got at least another season. Although every time I've thought that it's been the first thing to happen next season. So <laughs> who knows? Oh man, they're going to spend two episodes getting to Tython. They spent two minutes getting to Tython. <laughs> they are here. <laughs> um, God, who was it? Mads Mikkelsen's brother, I think, played Thrawn in Rebels. Oh. Uh, I'm going to look that one up as well now, because I did not do any of my research, as we've talked about. But he, his voice at least, was perfect for it. If he looks remotely Thrawn-like, just have him do it. Right, because it's a shame that we can't just use Mads, honestly, since he was already, um, fucking what's-his-name, Galen Erso. Mm-hmm. And also Mads isn't the end-all be-all of actors, but he's No, but great. Mads would have been such a good Thrawn. He would have. He would have been mm-hmm. a very good... I've heard people talk about... Oh, why can't I think of his name now? Um, he played Lucius Malfoy. He was the captain in the first season of Discovery. He was... Oh. Lars Mikkelsen is the person who played Thrawn. And he does look the part. Oh, Jason Isaacs is Lucius Ma- Jason yeah. Isaacs? I could see... He's not my choice... But I could see it. Mark Strong? Physically, I don't see it. Character-wise, maybe. I'm trying to think. Thrawn, Thrawn. Idris. <laughs> Just you to get him Idris in there. Idris for everyone. <laughs> Just to get him in there. <laughs> so many places to pick Idris. Thrawn is not my choice. Uh, possibly Hugh Laurie? Oh, wow. That's an interesting... Yeah. That's kind of a fun one, right? I like that one. I like that. I like you. (laughs) Um, I don't know. This is a tough one. I don't know who I'd put as Thrawn. So far, even on the movies that I have issues with, their casting points have been pretty solid. So, bring it. Yeah. Also, at the same time, Star Wars, you should pay the guy who wrote Splinters of the Mind's Eye. Oh, yeah. For you. Like, yeah. we've mentioned it here before. That Disney's like, nope, we don't have to pay you for this anymore. Yeah, you fucking do. Uh, if we're going to advertise you for, like, two hours straight here, fucking mind your business, <laughs> Star Wars. Do we have anything else on Mando Season 2? I don't think two? I do. I fucking loved it. It was great. It was a lot of fun. Um, I do think that it was a little weaker for being Backdoor Pilots, the series. But it did a pretty good job of making sure the episodes were good episodes in their own right still. See, that's the thing. Like, I... Nothing... It's absolutely true that it's Backdoor Pilot, the series. But none of the episodes were made worse by it. No. They were still very fun. And they didn't sideline Mando like so often happens in Backdoor Pilot episodes. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mando was still the main character. They just made sure to give proper time to these other people. But, you know, like, the Ahsoka episode was so much, let's prove we can do this. God. Ah, her taking out all those troops in the woods was so cool. She was creepy. I'm not used to Ahsoka being creepy. Of all, so the, cool. of all the roles of her. Uh, do we have any recommendations for this week? Yeah, of course I'll have one. What's yours for this week? We talked about this two hours ago. I know. <laughs> um... I'm going to go with, this is a rare one because I've only played like 15 minutes of this video game and it's still enough that I like cannot recommend it highly enough. The Return of the Obra Din. 
It is a story about a ghost ship. It is the, the, the setting of it looks like it is made on an old, old school computer. You can actually set its graphics to like Macintosh mm. uh, to look like old, like 80s Macintosh computer. It is all black and white with like uh, black with like white outline and stuff. And you are an investigator that goes on this old like sailing ship that's just beat to shit and there's corpses everywhere. And you have to figure out what happened. And the only thing you have to figure this out is you have a book with all of the crewmates like listed in it. And you have a stopwatch that when you find a corpse, you go up to it and you will see a stop, like a frozen picture of the moment that character died. And like the last three sentences said before this person dies and you have to go and figure out the name and how every member of the ship died. Mm. And you see like it starts with the last person to die and you have to go backwards all the way to the first. Okay. And you pick a little bit like, Oh, okay. This person was clearly the captain. All right. Later on, like you, you can identify him, but how did he die? You might not find that out until like three things later of these like frozen images or the captain will mention, oh, I killed this person. You're like, well, I can narrow it down to these. Mm -hmm. It's this giant, weird, creepy mystery. So far, there's been some the, the captain goes nuts and kills like five people. They're fighting over these shells a fucking giant squid seems to attack the ship at one point. Cause you see people get like pulled off with these tentacles coming over the side of the ship. At one point it looks like a dude sucked into a vortex and I have no idea what that's about yet, <laughs> but I want to know. Okay. Okay. I made myself stop playing it. Cause I want to play it with CC because I want to experience the whole thing. And I want us to like argue and fight over who random person is. Mm-hmm. I actually, it's funny that I'm actually going to recommend a game that I have also only played a limited amount of and have not got to the end of Was yet. it Fallen Order? Fucking Fallen Order. <laughs> because it inspired me to pick up a whole different game to just marathon that game so that I can get back to Fallen Order. I am really wanting to play Fallen Order. It is one of, there's like three or four games that make a strong argument for me getting a second console system other than just my Switch. Mm-hmm. And Fallen Order is... Fallen Order and Squadrons are both really high up there as... First, I mean, this is more just like a personal thing, I guess, but it had been a while since I'd played just more of like a like a straightforward adventure action game. As opposed to a big open world thing? Yeah. And there's things that you can do with that kind of storytelling when you don't have to take in... When you don't have to take into account the fact that the character might come at this from like a completely different, different direction. Ways. Yeah. People, I mean, I love open world games. Uh, Breath of the Wild is one of my favorite games of all time. But there is something to be said of we are telling a story now. Mm-hmm. You will experience it. And it's great so far. And I want to know so much more about Cal. The world is he's getting thrown into is fun. It's. Games to, are now to the point where I uh, they might as well be, you know, I might as well just be sitting there watching one of the animated shows. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's not it's not as different anymore. So it kind of feels like 
I'm getting to see quote unquote live action in a way like Inquisitors. Yeah. Well, and the Inquisitors, I think one of the same Inquisitors shows up in Rebels. Mm hmm. Where they're punks and I don't like them very much. So the idea of seeing Inquisitors as dangerous as they're like supposed to be is exciting. And um, everything yeah. so far has been really, really cool about it. Like as, I said, I had to stop playing it because I have a different game I have to finish. By the end of Rebels, the Inquisitors are kind of Team Rocket. Mm. They get punked by everyone and then they blast off again by flying off on their stupid fucking helicopter double-bladed lightsabers. <laughs> I already didn't like the Inquisitor lightsaber very much. I'm just going to complain about the thing that you were just saying was really cool. Uh, just because I think it's kind of a doofy concept of, okay, let's just make these, like... Have you seen the blades, like, yeah. spin on the circle? I think it's kind of dumb already. And then in the fucking Rebel, like, season two of Rebels, they start flying with them. Oh no! Just like putting them above their head and like flying off them, I'm like no. Oh no, I don't like that. I am, I am calling it there. You are done. That hasn't happened in this yet. That's because it's really bad, and you got fucking Buffy the Vampire Slayer to voice your Inquisitor, and you're doing that with her. Yeah, I mean at least partly because I'm pretty sure she's married to Freddie Prince Jr., who was playing your Jedi in that series. But uh, Freddie Prince Jr. almost Jigsaw and Punisher Warzone. Really? Yeah. His post-teen heartthrob <laughs> career is so weird. Although, he, he's one of my favorite Jedi. Kanan Jarrus is just the tits. He was the director's choice, but the studio wouldn't let her choose him, even though it was the studio that forced her to watch his audition in the first place. Yeah. I'm giving you a weird look that they can't see here. Okay. Yeah. That's its own story. Anyway... Fallen Maybe Order. I'm not even through Fallen Order. It's fucking fantastic. Mm -hmm. That's my recommendation. So Go enjoy it with me. Two games that we have not played much of are our recommendations for this <laughs> week. Um, but for this week, I'm Tyler. And I'm Zach. Dismissed. Hi, everybody. General Tyler here. If you like the show, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, or preferably over at Apple Podcasts, we would super appreciate it, as the whole world is ran on algorithms, and we want to be all up in them, getting our voice out to more places. Uh, also, I mean, tell your friends. We always appreciate that. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, ask us questions, give us comments, Email us, generalnerderypod at gmail.com. You can also contact us through our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. Uh, while you're there, check out all of our back catalog, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, go check out all of our sister shows. We're involved with most of them, so if you already like listening to us talk, it might be in your best interest. And if you want to check out everything from the network, head over to earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. We'd super appreciate it. Love you all. Have a good one.